0: Tonight we'll, we'll open with uh, kind of a foundational sermon that will launch us for the next uh, four times that we gather. Um, we'll gather uh, next Wednesday, then have the week of Thanksgiving off, and then three times we'll gather in December before the end of the year. So this, will, this series will carry us to 2021. Um, and we're going to consider tonight this kind of foundational series, and the next we're going to talk about singleness and then marriage, and then we're going to talk about work. And we're going to talk about, basically, um, leisure, hobbies, those kind of things. How do I, can I enjoy those things? How do I do that and bring glory to God? Is it possible for me to stream on Twitch um, and st- God be pleased by that? And I think the answer is yes, uh, but you're going to have to come back in about five weeks to figure out how the answer to that is yes. Um, within limitations, so honestly, it'll be a, a good series, trust me. That the Lord will work through it. So, tonight, living a good life from Psalm 37. Hopefully, I've given you enough time to uh, get there. If you would stand as we pay honor to the reading of God's word tonight, I want to open our series looking at the foundational principles for how do we even begin to think about this. So, Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6, this is God's word to his people Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And this is God's word to us, and we thank him that he's kept it for us, so we can enjoy it and read it together. Let's open with a word of prayer tonight. Father, we come to you once again asking as we open your word together that you would help us as we think through how we can enjoy life, how we can live our life to the fullest while pleasing you, and at the same time um, being, not to use too um, weak of a word, but happy, but to be happy in you. So... Uh, As we feel the tension that is sometimes put on us as Christians, I pray that you would help us to see from your word your desires for us and the fact that your word does, in fact, address how we should live. Be with us now as we make our way through your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's amazing to me when there is certainty that something must be done but there is major disagreement about how to do it. A lot of times in life, you'll hear people say, we must do X. And you say, okay, we're all in agreement that X must be done. How are we going to do it? And then, much like anything else in life, you get 83 different opinions, none of which are helpful. One thing that Christians are seemingly confused about is this idea of the good life. You know, we, we hear... Um, Someone described that we should want to or desire to uh, live the good life. Um, You see a lot of things that would kind of push us in this direction. I think we've even got a brand, uh, the Good Life brand, uh, little stick figures, Happy Life brand. Then you've got different life brands. Um, it's, It's comical to me that people don't seem to be able to discern what a brand is. I see people raging on social media all the time about people in the Midwest wearing salt life uh, attire, and they're like, can't you figure out that you're in a landlocked area? And I'm like, that doesn't keep you from wearing Nike, but here we are. So there's all this chatter in the secular culture about do what makes you happy, live the good life, enjoy the good life. You think of, I know this is going to shock some of you that I would even know this, but you think of. Miller life, live the high life, right? You know, live this, this excellent life that is kind of a unattainable or to be attained that's out in front of us. But Christians then seem to want to back off of that. And there's tension there. Can we live the good life? I mean, come on, have you been around a lot of Christians? Don't I have to be on some sort of kick? 24-7, 365, of sharing Christ with everybody that I come in contact with. This constant engagement with people. Maybe you're talking all the time about engaging the culture, talking with the culture. I feel like I've got to do that all the time. Um, or I need to be doing some Bible reading. You know, I'm, I'm not out engaging the culture. I'm at the house. No Netflix. Let's let, You know, Psalm 1, when we get to 150, we'll take a break to eat dinner, right? Like, that level of intensity around Some of you think that's what I do, uh, that it's just constantly in that vein. Add to this confusion about relationships. Can you date people? Should I date people? What does dating look like? Do I have to date? Do I want to date? Do people want to date me? I mean, these are the questions that plague us. Not me. I'm married. I don't have to worry about that question anymore. Praise God. There is one time period of my life that I will never long to get back. It is the time period of trying to date people. This is the worst. I, I sympath- feel sympathetic for everyone who has to do that. So what does that look like? Then you add into the Christian confusion on the issue of, if you're not dating, then there must be something wrong with you. If you're not in a relationship, there must be something wrong with you. Why don't you want to date? Why don't you want to get married? And, and I'm running into all kinds of people who are like, that's not me. I just can't get anybody to go with me. So one person understood that. <laughs> so it, how do you wrestle through these things? And then, you know, the tension of work, work at what makes you happy, be happy while you work. Find a job that you enjoy, That you l- find your passion, do that for your job, and you'll never wake up going to work one day in your life. That's a lie. Just being honest with you, that is a complete lie. So that we come to the end of this question, namely, how can I enjoy life, honor God and still feel fulfilled? I think that's really what people are after. Well, I'm going to make the argument that in order to live the good life, you have to lay the foundation for living the good life. There's got to be, I, I'm a, a big believer that a, a lot of the, the reason why people get themselves into trouble is because they don't have any foundational anchors that keep them anywhere. And so they're drifting around by what everybody says that they should be doing. Christians are just as guilty of doing this as people who don't know Christ. They're just drifting aimlessly, trying, moving from job to job, moving from spouse to spouse, moving from hobby to hobby, moving from recreational thing to recreational thing, trying to find something that will bring about satisfaction. And I'm going to make the argument tonight that there has to be something foundational that anchors how you think about everything else. And so, as is customary, three uh, things are going to kind of guide us as we think about living this good life. Number one is trust. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The psalmist opens our section here tonight with an exhortation to trust. Trust in what? Because, I mean, you trust in the wrong things and you're going to spend the majority of your life being heartbroken. You trust in humans too much, they will break your heart. You, you, You trust in a significant other, and put them in a, uh, on a spot where they don't belong, and you'll be heartbroken. Put your parents on a pedestal, or maybe they've already removed themselves from that pedestal because they are human. Trust in your job until that stops. Trust in your sports teams until they break your heart. I mean, my goodness. Life could go on and on and on. Trust in what? Well, if you're a Christ follower tonight, Trust in the Lord. How, but not just, we talk a lot, okay, in vague generalities. We can move people from point A to point B, supposedly, with cliches let go and let God, trust in the Lord, believe, have faith, all of these things. They're wonderful, but a lot like other. Um, Professions, it's nice to always operate in the abstract until you're brought crashing back to reality. So what does it mean to trust God? Well, the psalmist here has in mind this idea that, simply put, it's the idea that we willingly submit to the will of God, that we trust His good plan for our lives. And I think there are a lot of us who would, say tonight I'm trusting in God's good plan but I'm second guessing him constantly Things don't seem to be working out the way that they're supposed to be This life's not supposed to be like this I didn't realize that adulting was going to be that hard The fact that we have to use adulting as a verb is a good indication of how sometimes adults have done a poor job of preparing you for the difficulties of life. And I'm not just looking at your parents, because um, I believe that while your parents are primarily responsible for raising you, you, uh, you have other adult influences like teachers and uh, pastors and mentors. And the fact of the matter is, the reason why we have to live in a world where adulting is a verb more often has to do with the fact that As a generation, we have not done a very good job of preparing you for how difficult life is going to be. And that's why I love college. Because for the first time in your life, hopefully for the first time in your life, but maybe for some of you tonight, that's not simply the case. For the first time in your life, life seems to be kicking back. And so you find yourself tonight going, living the good life. Come on. What good life? I thought I didn't have any money, and then I went to college and found out it was possible to have less than no money. I thought everything was going to be fine when I moved away from home, but my parents are getting divorced, and I don't understand because they've been married for 25 years, and now all of a sudden all the kids are gone, and now they don't want to stay married. I don't get it. What do you mean live the good life? I made a dumb decision. I did something stupid that's impacting my life. How can we come here on a Wednesday night, give me a break, why don't we just continue the politics series cuz this idea of living the good life is a farce. Well, I would make the argument that part of the reason why you struggle you might be, find yourself struggling tonight is because you're trusting in the wrong things. The way that we begin to show that we trust in God is through our doing good. This is what the, the psalmist says, trust in the Lord and do good. See, there's an activity that follows trusting in the Lord. It's called living life for God. We live faithfully, trusting in God, which leads our actions in the way that he is pleased with what we do, all the while believing that God is in control of it all, which is always going to be difficult. Talk to anybody who's been alive, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, 80 years. And they will tell you the constant rub of their life is trusting God and really doing good because I believe he's in control of it all because at times it doesn't feel like he is. We don't live doing good, hoping that God's in control. We do good knowing that he's in control, which is why the psalmist says that you dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The Christian recognizes that the call to live in the land as a way of outwardly showing to the the world around them the trust that they have in the Lord. This is the radical prophetic nature of Christianity that so many people are lacking. They they live trusting in God and they don't seem anxious like everybody else. Now. Hear me tonight when I say they don't seem anxious like everybody else. I don't mean that Christians will never experience anxiety, never experience uh, seasons of difficulty, never experience questioning where they're going. But the way that they deal with their anxiety is different from the people around them. Every day you experience a world filled with people who have anxiety. You say, how do you know? Because I read the same newspapers and journal. Well, I should say, I I was going to say, I read the same newspapers, journal articles and uh, press releases that you all read. But I doubt that you're reading them. That tell us that the millennial generation and generation Z and the, the generation behind them are experiencing anxiety at alarmingly skyrocketing rates. So how can a Christian live prophetically in that world when you may be sitting here tonight saying, I can believe that because that's me. Well, you've got to do something different with the anxiety that you experience. This idea of cultivating faithfulness. The Christian is zeroed in on living faithfully for the Lord as their highest aim. That's what they're zeroed in on, as they trust. I think this is what gets us in trouble. Man, I, have you ever been around? I get myself into trouble. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to anyway. I get myself into trouble because um, I am be a little intense at times. I know this is going to come as a shock to you. Um, You're know, like, intensity? What intensity? Last night is a perfect illustration of this, sitting in my office at home. Um, and I know this is also going to shock you, reading a book just had to say my name four or five times to get my attention. Now, that creates some uh, intense marital fellowship. But there is an intensity with which I attack the things that I read and study Thats why if you crack open anything that I'm reading right now, sometimes it looks like a fountain pen not only has written in it, but has exploded in it. I just don't kno- I, it's just a zeroed in Somebody scared me today in my office because I've been keeping my door open. I'm learning that I can't do that. They walked by and said something to me. I was in the middle of studying, and they said something, and I normally am not jumpy, but I like, almost jumped out of my chair. Because of that intensity with which I was, some of you are like that, not with reading, we know, it's okay. Some of you, like, World War Three could break out around you, but, and I'm going to just date myself here, but if Call of Duty is on, and, there, you know, it, 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 it's on, and there's nothing. Some of you <coughs> girlfriends in the room can... Amen. On that point, because, you know, your boyfriend, I mean, the house could literally be burning down around them. and They would not even smell the smoke because they are so intensely focused on what they're doing. I would like to presume at this moment to tell you what guys could amen about girls, but that would be to lie about me knowing what women are into. And I apologize. We're not having that applicatory point for you, ladies. But you know what it is that zeroes you in. This idea of trusting in God with that level of intensity should be applied across the board. But yet it's not. Why? Because we don't really trust God that much. We say we do. It's cute. We believe it. We say it. So I'd ask you this tonight. Have you trusted in God to begin with? Because I think, you know, I don't want to come in here week after week and assume that everybody in the room under the sound of my voice is actually a genuine Christ follower. Maybe the the biggest issue with your anxiety and the, the reason why you struggle is because you fooled yourself into believing that you're genuinely a Christ follower. But yet you have no desire to walk with him. So have you trusted in God to begin with? Because if not, You will not trust it with anything else. Everything else that I say at this sermon will fall flat for you if you don't know Christ. I think sometimes as pastors, we do a pretty poor job of explaining that a lot of what we're saying, especially in sermon series like this, applies to the Christian and why you might struggle with it is not because you're a terrible Christian, but because you actually genuinely don't know Christ. The Christian life focuses on trusting in God's plan while faithfully following him. That's the point. It's not about you. So if the Christian life is focused on trusting in God's good plan while faithfully following him, I'll just ask you this tonight. Are you doing that? Are you faithfully trusting him, faithfully following him? Is that what drives you? If you want to live the good life, you've got to start by trusting in the right person. And then number two, you've got to delight in the right person. Oh, baby, we're going to go to Psalm 37, verse 4, probably one of the top five heavy hitter, misapplied, misunderstood verses in the Bible. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many of, uh, a late night cable TV preacher has said, boom, here it is. Like, you know, you want that Maserati. Well, just delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you a Maserati or a Benz or whatever you find yourself I don't know, a 66 Forest Green Chevelle. I I don't know. might be different for you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does this mean? How does this apply? Well, second, the psalmist informs us that we must delight ourselves in God. And this delighting in God is not just a mere acknowledgement of God. It's not just merely like, hey, God, what's up? Like, I delight in you. It's Really cool that you exist. To delight means to find your supreme joy and happiness in God. To delight in God means that he becomes our ultimate source of joy that we have. We delight by being in his presence, reading his word, and listening to it being taught. But not just those things. We have sold a false bill of goods here because you have grown up probably being heard and taught that to delight in God means exactly that. Get back to those basic spiritual disciplines. Read the Bible, pray, listen to the word taught, be in good community. That's what it means to delight in God. Yes, but it means so much more than just merely to participate in spiritual activity. Remember that I said to delight means to find your supreme joy and happiness in God. So. That means del- that delighting sees how God is blessing us in all of the areas of life. For instance. That the, the taste of a warm cup of coffee. You can delight in God while drinking coffee. Or some of you got Andy's gift cards. You're about to leave and delight in him. Like, just be honest here. It's. Not finding pleasure in the things that we do, but finding pleasure in the one who gives us the things that we enjoy. It's a total different approach to life. It means walking outside and praising God for autumnal colors that spread across the sky and actually delighting in Beauty, because you know who gives it. You know, Bob Ross has become somewhat of a pop culture icon. I'm sure he would be surprised as much as a lot of us are that grew up on public broadcast television that uh, he's a pop culture icon. But I think it's because at some level, he paints landscapes. Simple art, right? Nobody in the highbrow art world is like, oh, yes, a Bob Ross original. Wonderful. Ross does not hang with Van Gogh and Picasso. You won't go to the finest art museums in Paris and find, ah, now we've come to the Bob Ross collection. Yet, he still manages to captivate people. Probably because public broadcast television is easy to buy. If you have an internet-based TV, he has his own channel. Just loops of shows. But why? Because there's something about the beauty of a landscape, well-painted, that draws us in. Not because of the artist behind it, but because of what he captures. There's something in the human heart that when we drive down 65 in the middle of fall, actually paying attention, getting off of our phones, and not screaming at the people around us, that draws us into wonder and awe. There's the small snuggles with your daughter that capture the heart. And I would say there's a million small conversations with you Where I can see God working in you. And you can't. And those are beautiful things to behold. That's what it looks like to delight in God. Have you ever sat down at a table to consume fine pizza? Delighting in who God is? Next Wednesday night, you get the opportunity to eat the Lord's chicken. There's a reason why we call it the Lord's chicken. Because it it means that we recognize the one who has given us this, and he's fried it, and it is good. Delighting in the Lord means recognizing his hand in all of them. Recognizing his hand in the fact one of the couples in here that the high school cheerleader would go out with you. Delighting in the fact that you get to watch kids grow up. Delighting in the fact that you get to become a grandparent. Delighting in the fact that somebody actually said when you asked them out this week, yes I will go with you. And you have no game. That must be an act of a sovereign God who is good. (laughs) Arthur Weiser states that the godly man who lets everything be irritated or flooded with the light of God's moving hand. So he this godly man who lets everything be irritated by his delight in God can, as his heart is Filled with that joy, looked forward to the fulfillment of the deepest desires of his heart. Here's what happens. When you delight in God, your desires get framed with him. And those desires are met at a deeper level that you didn't even know were there. uh, I grew up in the home of a coach. I've always appreciated good coaches. One of the things that I appreciate about a good coach is their ability to see talent that... uh, can't even begin to see and to be able to produce something in them that they didn't even know they could go to a depth, a level, a place that they're not even aware even exists right now at this moment. And we marvel at that week in and week out. And I think the same things are available to us in God, but we just are not willing to delight in Him and to continue to pursue after Him. Our desires need to be shaped by God. And his ways of knowing about what we need. As we grow in line with him, our desires naturally shift with them. Another commentator noted, if we truly delight in the Lord, then the chief desire of our heart will be to know him better so we can delight in him even more. And the Lord will satisfy us. That desire. And I think you do it in small steps. I think this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because here's what Paul knows. Paul understands this. If you will seriously start to delight in God in very, very small things, a cup of coffee, a landscape, the way that the Lord helps you find your keys, He will continue to grow your capacity to know him and grow in him. So I wonder tonight, are your desires reversed or Are they flipped? You're trying to delight in your desires, and that's why you seem to be frustrated. Maybe the problem tonight is not that your desires are not happening. You're frustrated because your desires are not happening. Maybe the, the problem is and the reason why that continues to happen is that they're not God's desires. You ever think about that? Like God, why aren't you giving me what I'm asking for? Because you don't need what you're asking for. And if I give you what you're asking for, you will wreck it. Many a life has been scratched out from this earth by overzealous parents handing way too powerful of cars to immature high school students, and watching his very valuable pieces. Of machinery are wrapped around highway poles all because out of a desire to make someone happy sometimes God is not giving you what you think will make you happy because he knows that that desire will destroy you and he's protecting you and you get mad at him rather than bringing your desires in alignment with him finally tonight not only do you need to trust Not only do you need to delight, but you also need to commit your way to the Lord. Commit. The psalmist ends with the encouragement to commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. The verb there, commit, means the idea to roll away or cast off feelings of resentment, fear, or jealousy. In other words, think of 1 Thessalonians, casting all your care, or that's 1 Peter. 1 Thessalonians, be anxious for nothing. 1 Peter, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So committing your way to the Lord means I'm going to trust these things to you. Some of you are looking down the barrel at the end of the semester, not knowing how things are going to work out for the spring. Trusting and turning those things over to God and saying, I'm just going to do two things. I'm going to trust, I'm going to delight, and then I'm going to hand these over to you. What God does in return as we hand over these things to him is to make the righteousness come forward as worthy praise. Look at verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God squares every account. And we're too busy trying to uh, make arrangements on our own accounts. And for some of you tonight, this is a great need for you. Because you find yourself tonight not knowing. And for others, you don't recognize that you need this because, unfortunately, one of the things that youth does is make us supremely arrogant about where we are and what we have. I'm young. I'm invincible. This is great. I'm glad you could preach this. Maybe you should try it out on the old folks the next time you get asked to speak on Sunday morning. We don't need this, David. I've got this. There's one thing I can assure you of in life is that you do, in fact, not got this. And as you look out into your life, you need to identify areas of your life. What really need to be committed to God? Because there are different things all of us are struggling with to really, truly turn over to him. So if we're going to live the good life. If we're going to frame it in that those terms, we must trust in the Lord, commit ourselves to him and delight in him. I think those three things functionally will help us as we begin to think about what does it mean that I'm single? What does it mean to to think about getting married? What does it mean to think about where I might work and what does it mean about how I even think about my hobbies? And I would say that the, this all hinges on that middle command. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are you supremely happy in God? Does he delight everything that you do? Does he govern your thoughts? Only you can answer these things. Let's pray.